You're listening to the podcast Circular Economy, a new narrative. Imagine yourself living in a world where the circular economy is mainstream. A world where waste and pollution are designed out of our products. Where people have banned ownership, live socially equal lives and respect nature's boundaries. That world is completely different from the one we currently live in. Having a clear view of how our circular future will look like might help us with the transformation from a linear to a circular economy. But how do we create this vision when there are no examples from the past, when we have never lived in a modern, circular society and when it is difficult to imagine alternative post-fossil futures to live in? Rethinking our current world is a challenge. Why is that? And where do you start making the change? Well, you start here with this podcast. Welcome to the Circular Economy, a new narrative. My name is Annette van Soest. I'm your host and I'm going to take you into the future. My first guest is an expert on the role of startups for the circular economy. According to him, startups play a pivotal role in the transformation towards a circular economy. But he also notices that, despite the many discourses about this topic and the many enthusiastic entrepreneurs, the transition lacks speed. Actually, it's in reverse. So it's time for something new. Researcher at the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development, Thomas Bowens. Thanks. So we have a popular topic, the circular economy, but... The economy itself, the circular economy itself, is in decline. You wrote in a paper, we need a circular disruption. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so the concept of circular economy is very appealing to businesses, policymakers, academics, because it's a concept that tries to reconcile uh, the economy and the environment. So there is a lot of discourse going on. But as you as you said, um, the the global level of circularity is actually decreasing, and um, that's because this discourse hasn't been yet translated into real world impact. Because it's hard to walk the talk, and there are still many barriers to the implementation of a circular economy. So we need a circular disruption. That's also easier said than done. How how can we achieve it? Yeah. So disruption is a radical shift in a market where there are established positions. So take Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, uh, Airbnb. All these companies have in common that they reached um, one million users in less than a year or uh, in a very limited amount of time. Um, in to get to a circular economy, we also need a circular disruption. But of course, uh, the companies that I mentioned are digital. So in the case of circular economy, we really need a systemic change. So we don't uh, need only to change business models and technologies used by companies, but also practices and behaviors of consumers, for example, or policies enacted by governments. And imagination is something that can help us do that, right? Um, does the discourse about the circular economy lack imagination at this point? Yeah, so imagination can help us do that because the linear economy is so entrenched in our societal values, in our day-to-day -day habits, that uh, it, it hinders us from um, uh, um, building coherent imaginaries around circular futures. And this lack of imagination um, uh, actually hinders our capability to change. 
So um, uh, imagination can um, uh, unlock our ability to change by building coherent narratives around which we can uh, develop strategies to implement circular economy. Thomas Bowens, thank you very much. My next guest is someone who imagines sustainable worlds as a new reality for a living. Professor Urban Futures at Utrecht University, Maarten Heijer, welcome. Hi, how are you? Why is it so difficult to imagine a circular future? Well, this is actually a very interesting question. Um, I'm amazed by the fact that so many people see the present as the best circumstance there is. We often call that uh, sort of the myth of the perfect present. And uh, that's the same as saying that people have difficulty in imagining that the world could be better. Basically, people think that, you know, climate change, biodiversity loss, it's all bad news. Social inequality rising, you know, the future can't hold nothing but bad. But uh, that has to do with the fact that people don't get a lead into imagining a, a, a better world. So it's actually quite a complex question. You have to really think about how people come to their images of the future. How do they come to those images? Um, so basically, if you look around, people are bombarded with images of the future. And so just think of uh, self-driving vehicles. So there are all these images suggesting that that is going to be the future. But obviously, if you think about it, it's an industrial's wish to have these futures with self-driving vehicles that they can sell to you. So there's lots of images of the future. And the thing is how people can actually select images of futures that they want to move towards, you know, aspirational futures. Mm. And Our research suggests that uh, it's extremely helpful if people can somehow experience a future. So if there is a location somewhere where you can see what the future may be like. And that could also be very true for the circular economy. Places where you can see what it looks like, what it feels like, what the business model of a circular economy uh, could be. Are we fully aware that we need to transform our world? I'm not sure. Uh, has, it, not has, sure. It, has it got to do just with uh, the, the fact that we have a hard time imagining? Or is it that we don't really feel the need? I, I, no, I don't think that is the problem. If you think we've all grown up with uh, the limits to growth report, people you know, in educational systems all over the world are aware that uh, the way we treat nature is deeply problematic. I really think that the problem is the lack of an imagination of the way forward. Um, and therefore, I'm also very critical about academics that keep uh, problematizing this, our situation with their own language, with CO2, uh, nitrogen, uh, you know, biodiversity. I mean, these are all academic words that people do not easily relate to. And for that matter, I think the circular economy runs that risk too. Okay. Uh, can you give an example of um, uh, how the imagination can help? Uh, yeah, so what we do in the Urban Future Studio is uh, set up our own experiments, basically, with 
with stakeholder groups and then see if we can create an image and see if we can then also make sure that that uh, coalition becomes a coalition of the willing. And, and I suppose our most successful example was uh, the so-called energetic odyssey in which we uh, organized uh, a whole big group of stakeholders, including the harbors, including Royal Dutch Shell, Van Oort, the offshore builder, Tenet, the electricity utility company, to imagine an alternative employment of the North Sea for energy generation. And in that imagination, we it was a design uh, that people could actually see it. They could stand around it. Mm -hmm. We transformed North Sea from an oil and gas North Sea into one of offshore wind with 25,000 really big windmills. And so that was a an exercise where you could really see over a period, of, you know, it took us more than a year, that people started to believe that that imaginary was worth, you know, working for. And... I dare say we are now actually implementing it. Thanks, Martin. Stay with us. I'll come back to you in a bit. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? You listen to the first seconds of the first Harry Potter movie based on the book of J.K. Rowling. This book is proof of quite some imagination. How do you create such a world and make everybody believe it? My next guest knows all about that. She writes Dutch television films and series and uses her imagination on a daily basis. Screenwriter at the drama queens Lotta Magnusson. Welcome. Thank you very much. Um, currently, you are in the process of writing an episode for uh, Flikken Rotterdam, a Dutch television series on the Rotterdam Police Corps. How long does it take you to write one episode? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, it's very much a question of how much uh, time and money there is in the budget. <laughs> I would say it takes uh, two months for an episode. Two months? Why does it take so long? It it seems a long time to me. Maybe that's not the case, but... Now, we need uh, actually to create a crime, a case that's not there yet. We cannot, we don't base it on a real crime. So we need to create that. We need to make it uh, a crime that people will believe and, and want to watch. Um, we need to do our research. We need to have a lot of readers who read it. We need to, to rewrite and get feedback and rewrite again. Okay, so so what what uh, part of the process takes the longest? Uh, the be the beginning to set up to set up the story. The world on the screen, be it the big screen or the television screen, is a world that doesn't exist. But when we watch it, we suspend our disbelief. How does that concept work? Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a matter of creating characters uh, with emotions that make sense to us and that we believe that it's uh, based on something we can refer to as human beings. So it doesn't have to be real. You don't have to accept that it's real or not. It's about 
believing. It's totally about believing behaviors and emotions. So we can create a world that is totally, will never ever be real. We can create any kind of world. We can set any kind of rules and laws. We can create a totally new universe as long as we have characters in it that do actions and have feelings that we can relate to. Relate to. Yeah. How do you know that your uh, story touches the audience's feelings? How do you know it's right? Well, that's a very good question because in film you have a lot of uh, you don't only have the script, but you also have the, the uh, a lot of processes. Um, so you actually don't really know until it's finished, to be really honest, if it's a successful story that people believe in or not. Okay, but that's why you have others read the story, read the script and give you feedback. Yes. Talking of new worlds... New horizons in a restless search for new opportunities and new ways of living the mystery and the promise of distant horizons always have called men forward this audio clip is part of a video about the 1939 Futurama exhibit from designer Bel Geddes for the General Motors Pavilion at the World's Fair Just before we entered the Second World War, it imagined a distant future, the 1960s. Um, Maarten, Getty's utopia for GM consisted of a world where everyone owned a car, which was quite unimaginable then. Still, Futurama was a huge success. Why was that? Yeah, it, this is for any sort of designer or, or a social scientist, this is an obligatory passage point. The 1939 Futurama, and uh, it is because uh, the uh, probably the best designer of America, Norman Bel Geddes at the time, uh, came to the fore and uh, bundled his, his sort of power of imagination with really powerful actors like Royal Dutch Shell. It was Shell at that time, the UK firm, and a GM, General Motors, the car manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what they used the stage of a World Expo at Flushing Meadows uh, to really have make a stage set in which people could experience the world of 1960. So it was what we call all about experiential futuring. They really walked into that future and, and sat first around the maquette. But then later on, as they moved through that pavilion, the the size of the objects grew, so they became more real. And then they left the pavilion and got this lapel pin called I've Seen the Future. (laughs) So here, this was sort of the whole world of commerce uniting with the power of design and the power basically also of of theater. Um, And it's a stunning number. It's more than 20 million Americans went through that pavilion and therefore we, we we used it as a classic case of a technique of futuring. Yeah? So where you engage the audience and do precisely uh, everything you can to overcome this uh, this idea that, that this future cannot be. Yeah? Now, of course, the car, they got it right, and the superbs, they got right, and the high-rise, they got right. But uh, they also had a revolving airport 
Well, that that was very funny. That never worked. And actually, very I don't even know what to uh, imagine when you say revolving airport. Oh, so if the wind alters, you just change the uh, the runway so that the, ah. that that it fits to the the, the changing wind system. Um, but but this so I think it is instructive as an example that shows how the world of commerce is is you know very creative and very powerful in knowing the techniques of capturing the imagination. And the world of policy, to which I'm much closer, is basically clumsy in that uh, in that regard. So the, the it's an uneven game, futuring. Mm. So uh, if if you say we can learn from Be Bel Geddes, then it's it's mainly the 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 world of the policy that needs to take an example. Um, yeah, but but in a very broad sense eh? because uh, if you think about the circular economy there are lots of stakeholders who could make their business case but they don't have sort of the advantage of the incumbent companies mm -hmm. that can spend so much or if you just listen up to the world of uh, commercial television and and how how long you have to make one episode i mean that that is of course because you want to test it you want to make sure that the product works but that that is a sort of a an effort that that is not present in the world of public policy or you know small little startups in the circular economy they they have to uh, compensate that by enthusiasm and by their sheer creativity i suppose new horizons you heard the futurama voiceover say that is what we want to learn in this podcast series to create new horizons martin how do you do that um so I think that one big difference with the world of 1939 was that uh, was it was an era in which uh, people uh, were very open towards futuring. Uh, so they they flocked to that uh, Futurama also because they had a sort of grim situation in the 1930s, the incredible unemployment. Uh, uh, after after the Great Depression, so people were interested moving towards the, the future. That is a precondition we at the moment do not have. As, as I said at the beginning, it is much more that people are concerned. So my tip is to take much more seriously the worries of people, to acknowledge why they don't want to move to another future. What is it that stands in the way? Because the, tr the tragedy of intellectuals often is that they think how to future, but forget to think why people don't want to come along. So then they become... And, and why don't they, do you think? Well, I mean, the fossil world is not that bad. Eh? If you think about the freedom of driving a car, cheap uh, airline tickets for uh, holidays to Crete or Greece, eh? and many people who have just moved into that luxury of having a car, of having uh, international holidays. You know, Living in emerging markets. Well, but also I think in, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. So it's, uh, I mean, if, uh, if you're in lower middle class, you feel mm -hmm. that the electric car is not for you. That's for people that have a, a lease uh, uh, 
uh, cars because of their, their the firms where they work. And there is no second-hand market for electric cars yet. So people feel that they have to insulate their homes, but they don't get the money. They have to pay uh, from, it, from their savings. They don't want to do that. So uh, it's not that far away. No, I think actually that uh, people in our, in our societies themselves are uh, very reluctant to uh, move to a sustainable future. And we should pay much more attention to their concerns. Lotta, where do you start creating new horizons? What do you need as a screenwriter to achieve that? Well, first you need passion and drive to really want to tell it. And you have to have a lot of creativity and imagination to create a world that is not yet existing. And in my work, from my point of view, it's really important to... Um, to uh, just to play with emotions more than with facts. And again, what I just said recently, it's to see, uh, see, um, uh, to use characters that that live in this world. But also, you you need to know what you want to tell, the story you want to tell. So, so if you have to um, pick a starting point, what would it be? Is it the the character or is it the story? Well, that can that that can vary very much. Uh, what's uh, what's the start point? What's, what the start point is of your fascination? Uh, that can be anything, actually. That can uh, that can be a word like uh, uh, urban future. Like wow, it can be very insp- <laughs> inspiring to start to think about that. Okay, what what comes up? T- what comes into your mind when you say those words, urban future? Well, I immediately think uh, t- uh, to make it more. I I really. Th- think it's it's still a very abstract world i would find it really fascinating interesting to see how does a, a human life look like in a totally new society as if it's very normal how does it, how do you wake up how do you set your coffee how do you what do you do with your trash where how do you pick your clothes out your wardrobe um all those processes and behaviors are different in this future world. And yeah, I was thinking also we could pick it all, a lot of very famous movies and just reset them and base them on behaviors in the future economy. What would then be different? So I take it could be really inspiring. Take a classic one like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Bridesmaids, I just mentioned something. <laughs> uh, a scene where they go shopping. How different would that look like if you have to rent your wedding dress? Or um, just to make an example. Yeah, and not buy a new one. And not yeah. buy a new one. Um, so what is the one thing we should get rid of immediately when we are creating new horizons? Martin. Wow. Um I mean, the, the, the fear of experimentation, I suppose. So if we can recapture some sort of fascination with alternatives, I think uh, that would really be helpful. And we can do that. So I'm at the moment really involved in uh, bio-based building. So building with wood, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and wood has a sort of an interesting sentiment where, where people do feel that it may be better than, say, you know, buildings of concrete. 
uh, if we if we would be able, and I hope we will, to within a year or two make whole neighborhoods out of wood, I think that could actually become a really big hit that people want to see what, what does that look like because if you i mean one building in wood is you know just you know fancy but to see precisely as, as you said Lotta, that the that that what is it like to live there what is it like to shop there what is it like to take your kids to school there and you could be you know in a situation that is the future right that is experiential futuring i think that would perhaps big bring back sort of that feeling that experiments you know can be a guidance towards the future hmm. and that reluctance really stands in the way people are fearful so you have to take away the reluctance take away the fear can you can you go too far in creating a new world in a sense that people don't believe it anymore lotta no i don't think so I think you have a lot of flexibility and a lot of space to create new worlds as long as uh, you can make people feel the story. Make people relate. Yeah, yeah, make people relate and don't make it abstract and absolutely not make it like an information story that wants you to tell and wants you to feel with your ratio, but to, to feel with your emotions. Maarten, can you go too far? Um, I th I'm inclined to to go along with Lotta because uh, Elon Musk, he suggested it is realistic to start to think about living on Mars. By all accounts, it's complete nonsense. But you see that people are interested; they are excited by why because it's a bold statement and and it tap, taps into that latent capacity for people to say, well, you know, let's be bold. Yeah? Uh, and he, if you project it so far out of the ordinary world, people apparently have that capacity. It's mm. their reluctance is much closer to home. Yeah. What is it? What does it mean for my everyday life? Uh, what does it mean for my wallet? <laughs> what does it mean <laughs> for my children? But but does that mean that you cannot make mistakes in making believe? Absolutely, you can, and and I think. Uh, I mean that's that's the domain that I'm interested in in analyzing, uh, because it often uh, even minor steps go wrong, and uh, so you, it it is not only about imagination, but it is also about communication, I suppose. So to, so the um, ideally, I think that idea that you uh, co-create the future is powerful. So. That's perhaps difficult for, for television, but for for things like the circular economy, it's perfectly feasible right? that you constantly respond to what people say about it, and you try adjust your futures. Mm. So if if you would have one of these neighborhoods of the future in wood, mm -hmm. uh, people would respond to that and say, "Well, I like this, but I don't like that." Well, you know, very easy. Next time you 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 reply to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you adjust. And you, you adjust. That's the right. feedback to adjust your... Yeah, and uh, that, that is very different from that uh, Futurama, eh? because in those days, designers got it right. So not only Norman Bel Geddes, but Le Corbusier. He said, well, this is 
this is my modernist vision of the future. There was absolutely no democracy. He just postulated it and you, you either liked it or loathed it. But I suppose in our day and age, if people can speak back. And if you take that into account, it makes for a co-creation of futures. And a democratic process works better. Could, could work better. Could work it, better. It is, it's an absolute challenge. It's uh, not at all easy. Um, you just gave the example of the en energetic odyssey. Um, I want to ask you, Lotta, can you give an example of um, what instruments or techniques you use to make your imagined world feel real? Well, drama itself is my instrument. And drama is uh, people, characters who uh, want something something they cannot get very easily uh, and they want to do like a travel to get there to get to what they want and during this travel they realize what they want is not really their need and at the end after a lot of problems troubles uh, um, harmers um, at the end they realize that what they want was not what they needed and then we had a very perfect ending of a good story okay it's almost uh, the same as an odyssey yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> it but is on screen on uh, screen uh, uh, martin when you uh, hear what lotta says um can you relate to that from your perspective I, I listen very carefully because I'm, of course, fascinated by uh, your professionalism when it comes to storytelling, which which I don't necessarily have. Um, but that idea of a quest is, of course, uh, crucial for, say, our way of telling stories eh, in the West. So the, the, the novel is most, most of the time an individual quest, and it can be, you know, how do I find true love or whatever. And then with lots of uh, events... It's always about either uh, arriving at it or arriving at an insight that it is unattainable. Um, but the subtlety with uh, how you ev you know have such a plot uh, evolving, that is of course something we uh, we do in you know public policy and the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, you know we are amateurs, so that, that's why I <laughs> really carefully listen and learn a lot uh, during this podcast, which is fun. Um, when do you know, Martin, when the uh, story or the future is ready to be shared with the audience or uh, with the people? Uh, I think that's no longer how the way to how to approach it. So it is just embarking on the journey, on the odyssey, and 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 going along, and 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 keep signposting where we are now, uh, because. Uh, uh, we have a sort of a strange reluctance vis-a-vis -vis the future. So if you really want to make one democratic decision on the future, you know, I can assure you it won't work. You have to almost smuggle the future into er the everyday. So do little steps and keep keep readjusting and then suddenly it, it is there. Yeah? So the uh, Democracy in in the sense that we say, well, there is a parliament that has a sort of a decisive act on the future. I mean, that's not going to work. It is much more like Buckminster Fuller said, you know, making old systems redundant. And like with my example with Wood, there will be lots of resistance from people who are adoring 
or have vested interest in concrete. But if people start to appreciate that there is something new, then policy will follow. So it's, I see it much more as mutual adjustment than as uh, about big decisions and then, you know, together embarking on a collective journey. Hmm. Uh, is there something that you're really excited mm. about to share with us or the audience that's coming up? A new horizon. <laughs> well, I, I, I gave it away a bit already because I'm obviously overexcited about this uh, CLT. So the the idea that uh, cross-laminated timber may, may be actually the, the 21st century. And, and that all these things that we know from the 20th century, like highways, private cars, but also concrete buildings that are you know too distant from where people live and work, that that world will sort of collapse because there is an alternative which is more attractive and it is about digital uh, because it uh, allows for long distance uh, communication like in this uh, very podcast episode actually but it is also nature-based uh, and it, it just readjusts the the complete faulty way in which we have dealt with nature as a something you can extract and don't have to think about what you give back and i think that that reconnecting to to the the power of nature and and using that for for making new cities will create cities that are uh, in a new way related to nature will be more green there will be much more water in it and uh, and the quality of life will just be higher so it we will at some point say how could we be so silly to think in 2020 that this was the best there is it's not and in 2035 i bet some people will say, well, we were really funny in 2020. Yeah. Last question to Lotta. You have experienced that the imagined world is closer than you think because you wrote a script for a series about a virus that struck the Netherlands. Well, we all know what happened, COVID-19. How was it to experience your story in real life? Yeah, that was a bizarre experience and, and also a sad experience because our our setup got the feedback two years ago that it was too much science fiction in it and too dark. And yeah, well, reality catched up, unfortunately. Um, but now we are working on a new series, again, uh, a series that's larger than life and it's in the future of 2050. And actually, Martin, when I hear you speak about your future cities and buildings, I realize this is, this is exactly what we are talking about now when we are creating this new world in 2050 in Amsterdam. So, Martin, I think you can really help us. We need you <laughs> to help us create the world that we want to tell our story in. I just see some options here. Martin, how about that? That sounds like extremely good news. I'm, uh, I'm uh, really excited about that prospect because we use all these different forms. And, and as you say, this, this script writing and, and, and television is, of course, of such a powerful medium. I would love to explore that further. Really great. Oh, good. Let's drink coffee. We will. We should. 
Thank you so much. And there's business being done in this podcast series. I'm very happy. Screenwriter at the Drama Queens, Lotta Magnussen, and Professor Urban Futures at Utrecht University, Martin Heyer. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this final episode of our podcast series, The Circular Economy, A New Narrative. We hope that we have sparked your imagination about what the circular future might look like and how to get there. <laughs>